You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. Belly on up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. This is Socks in the Basement, all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. You know what I hate doing, Ed? Uh, there's a number of things you hate doing, but <laughs> I'm sure you're going to tell me that's going to have something to do with what Family Waterproofing Solutions will do for you. You know what I hate doing? I hate getting up on the side of my house. So much so that oh, I, God, yeah. I did not take down the Christmas lights. I kept them up for an entire year. It's an amazing accomplishment. I'm very proud of myself. But I went out and I bought those lights that are just like a clear string, and I ran them along my gutters around the top of the house. And when the seasons changed, I just kept saying, I don't think anybody notices it up there. And I got away with Like, I asked friends. I asked people that came by the house. I asked you. You're like, you have Christmas lights up? I'm like, they've been up all year long running along the gutter. Couldn't tell. I hate getting up on the side of my house. And now Family Waterproofing Solutions does gutter cleaning because if water builds up, then all of a sudden it runs down into an area it's not supposed to be in and it messes with your basement. So just like they handle the foundation cracks, just like they handle the seepage and the water coming into your basement and the window wells and everything else like that, now they come out and they do gutter service and they actually told me they can work around my Christmas lights. So that's awesome. Call them 24-7 anytime you want. Get on the line, 708-330-4466. Go to familydry.com. Mention us. Don't forget, you get money off and then you also get 10% off through November 30th for anything you do because they have just been named one of the South Town's very, very best. All right, on the phone line with me right now, the hardest working man in season and off season when covering the Chicago White Sox. I say that be- I say that because Scott Merkin is getting ready to get on a, on a jet plane. He's got big plans for the next couple of days. And he's like, don't worry, Chris, I'm going to fit you in. And he fit me in. I think right before his head hits the pillow tonight so that he could talk White Sox baseball on Sox in the basement. How are you, Merck? Good. Well, you got you to gotta help friends out, you know, so that, that's what I'm doing here. Uh, it's awesome, man. I really appreciate it. So I, I want to dive right into the thing that was going on on Wednesday. It was really weird. There was first a tweet that went out. A couple of people were reporting Justin Verlander uh, was looking for something with a Florida connection. Then the White Sox supposedly got into this. Bob Nightingale throws out a tweet saying the White Sox are heavily interested in Verlander. And then like a couple hours later, Verlander goes back to the Astros who have a spring training facility in Florida. So I got two questions for you. How much does it matter? This whole like I have a place in Florida and I want to hang out in Florida so I wouldn't go to a team that has spring training in Arizona. And how interested and how into it do you think the White Sox really were? Yeah, I think the first part, I think it's more important than people like would imagine. Yeah, I, I get that people have changed. Like, you know, you may look at like Liam Hendricks. He pitched for the Twins, right? So that was Florida. And then he went to Oakland and the White Sox, which is Arizona. But I mean, Verlander, I think that's all he's known, right? He's pitched for Detroit and Houston. I'm not leaving any teams off for him, right? Those are his two. I think that's it. Those are his two teams. In, yeah. And, and that's both Florida spring training. And I think it probably especially becomes important when you have a family like he does. And you set up roots out there. Now, it's the opposite, you know, for people who, like, build a house or buy property out in Arizona. They may be looking more for cactus leaves type of thing. But it does make a difference because you're talking, you know, six weeks of your life out there. And, 
I think there's a lot of players who do like certain areas geographically does make a difference. So I do believe that I, I, I you know, have not heard definitively how much the Sox were in it. Now, you know, it was kind of interesting because, you know, I've kind of joked some people about what was your favorite moment of the White Sox, you know, Verlander era there. And uh, <laughs> it didn't last long, right? Like Bob, who I have a lot of respect for, tweeted that out about the interest. And then within what uh, the qualifying offers came with just Brandon Belt accepting. And then I would say, what, an hour after that, half hour after that, his brother broke the news that Justin was going back to Houston, which kind of makes sense. You know, I mean, he won a World Series there. He kind of not resurrected himself because he only had like, I think, one off half in Detroit there down the stretch. But, you know, got back to kind of a lead form. And I think it it just makes sense that he's going to go back. And how close were they this year? You know, they were, what, two wins away from winning a World Series. So I understand that. But I, I think the Sox are looking, I think, pitching right field and second base would be their target. Now it's just a question of what are they able to spend? So how much of that is from free agency and how much of that is via trade? And then what do they use to trade if they're going to do it? So I'm not sure if they'll be in the market for pitchers who command 25 million or 30 million a year. And you can figure out who those guys are, Robbie Ray, you know, maybe Max Scherzer type of thing, uh, unless it's like a one-year deal. But, you know, then again, they didn't go, they didn't end up with Verlander this time. But I think they'll be looking for pitching. You know, right now they have the starters of Lance Lynn, uh, Dylan Cease, Lucas Giolito, Kopech, who is, you know, going to have a restricted inning count, and then Dallas Keuchel, who struggled mightily last year, but is coming off one year before that was, you know, albeit in a shortened season, sixth place finish, I think, in Cy Young voting. And you still have Ronaldo Lopez in there, but you're going to have to get a little creative, you know, to, to figure out the innings for Michael Kopech there, and especially what you're doing with, you know, Crochet maybe in the same kind of boat. So to make a really long answer short, I think they're in, they're interested in pitching. I'm just not sure what direction they're going to go to try and get it. You know, and it's fun to kind of joke around about the very short time period in which the White Sox were in the Justin Verlander hunt. But to me, it spoke loudly uh, on two things. One, there's been a fear, I think, amongst a lot of White Sox fans that the White Sox don't understand they need more pitching than just moving Michael Kopech into Carlos Rodon's spot. I think that's irrational. Right. I always felt like they were going to get more pitching, but there were people that were nervous about it. The fact they were even interested in Verlander tells you they know they need to go get pitching. But the other thing is, knowing that they need second base, knowing that they need right field, and also knowing they need pitching, to even kick the tires on a Verlander where they would have to be delusional to not think that they were going to have to spend a solid amount of money to get him indicates to me the payroll will still go up in this offseason and the White Sox are going to spend some money. I'm not expecting them to be the Dodgers. Right. But I think that people who think that Jerry Reinsdorf's not going to spend any money this offseason may be wringing their hands for no reason. Am I crazy to take all of that just from a couple of hours of reported the pursuit of Justin Verlander? Yeah, and you don't know what the purpose was kind of behind that news coming out there, but I, I do think... You know, the Sox are going to spend. I think they're going to, you know, try and get themselves even to another level. Let's be honest. They had a really solid year this year. They won, what, 93 games. They won their first division title since 2008. And it doesn't matter to me so much in that case that the division was not good because the Sox dealt with, you know, like a lot of other teams did, but they dealt with a myriad season or serious injuries. But, you know, they fell well short in the playoffs. They won one game in, in an unbelievable atmosphere, but otherwise really got beat in the other three. You know, I mean, there was no, like, I guess in game two, there were some moments after they took the lead where you're like, okay, maybe they can hang on. And then they gave it away in the next half inning. But, you know, they, they really did not stack up against Houston in those other three games. So there has to be some changes. And I should add something you mentioned. You know, I don't, I know they didn't offer Carlos Rodon a qualifying offer. And I think as Rick Hahn 
made clear they, you know, they're not bringing him that at that, not bringing him back at that contractual price point, which would have been one year, 18.4 million if he accepted the qualifying offer. Right. But I, I would not completely rule out Rodon coming back to the Sox. Now, of course, with Scott Boris's agent, they're going to explore the market and he's in a great position. I mean, yeah, I was right about him today because he finished fifth in the Cy Young, what, 185 strikeouts and 132 innings, only 37 walks. He no-hit the Indians. He almost no-hit the Tigers in Detroit. You know, it was, pre- it was pretty amazing the year he had, especially considering he drew 42 and a third innings combined the two years before that. Now, the only thing I will add is that what do teams think of the fact that from July 18th on, he never topped five innings and he never topped 90 pitches? And his velocity had dipped a little during the year. Now, again, it could, you could explain it very easily as the guy combined to throw 42 innings, 42 and a third innings in two years and top that, you know, by 90 innings in one season. So as he told us, it's kind of just natural soreness, but there is an injury history with Carlos. So I guess what I'm saying there is I'm sure he's going to explore the market, but I would not rule out him coming back to a place where he feels comfortable, where he had a great working relationship with pitching coach Ethan Katz. And I think where the Sox would want him back if they could work out the right deal. So I do think pitching is, you know, it's not, maybe I even thought at the beginning of the season, it was a little more of a slam dunk than it is, but yeah, I think you got to look at what they did. And I don't even want to, I don't even think you can go totally by the playoffs, you know, where I don't think any starter went through five innings, but I think you can always use more pitching and, you know, the, and the same thing goes into the bullpen, especially if they decide to move Craig Kimbrell. So again, I don't have a, a firm idea as to how much they're going to spend. They will spend, though, to, to get better because Jerry Reinsdorf wants to win and the White Sox want to win as an organization. During the season, the place to be is cork and carry at the park before and after ball games. During ball games, I don't care. I mean, you can go in there and just watch the game. And you can hear the fireworks going off in the distance because they're right in the shadow of the ballpark at 33rd and Princeton indoor-outdoor seating, an incredible menu. That incredible menu is still there in the offseason, go by, stop by, get some lunch, award-winning burgers at Cork and Carry at the Park, and then do not forget about their location in Beverly, the original location. I've been in there recently. They got the great Guinness Pour. They got the Big Oak Bar. They've got, you know, the traditional Irish pub. They've got it decorated right now in in Christmas stuff. Like, I, like they got the lights. They got the dangling lights in it. I mean, you walk into it, it's like I'm transported back into time, a simpler time where I can get myself a beer and hang out there. And then they have all the rooms that you can rent out for parties. Tis the season for parties. So go ahead and rent out a room, rent out part of the bar, rent out all of the bar at Cork and Carry in Beverly or even Cork and Carry at the park. The Beverly location, 10614 Southwestern Avenue, 33rd in Princeton for Cork and Carry at the park, a Southside tradition. And visit them to learn more at Cork corkandcarry.com you know the best thing about the offseason the hot stove if you will is trying to guess what a team is going to do and i know everybody's do we're doing it here on this show uh, a lot of people that we have come on have made their their guesses or said this is their number one target like for me marcus simeon second base i'm like it, it, it's going to be hard to find something better than that in a trade market or in free agency that you can afford but i feel like he's something the white Sox could swing big on and then fill in those other positions without having to go and break the bank in them. We have people that are screaming Michael Conforto to the rafters. Like, he's become like a big thing that White Sox fans are like, he'd be perfect out in right field. What does Scott Merkin want? I, I You know, you cover the team, Scott, and, you know, you try to analyze what you think the team is going to do based upon your conversations that you have and your history with the team and following the team. You have a really good handle on the team. But if, if, if you could put your GM hat on for a moment as a, as a person that is right there with the White Sox all the time covering them, 
What does Scott Merkin want them to go to? Well, my biggest focus right now is one more loss for Michigan State football and five more wins for <laughs> Michigan football. That's that that's the concern of mine that will carry on until yeah. the begin until the second week in January. That that's the and then since I'll be in Las Vegas watching them play, have a couple wins for the basketball team to get back on track after a tough Seton Hall loss. But if you're talking baseball, it's kind of interesting because I think you need I think you can fill from within in certain areas that you have you know. Romy Gonzalez and Danny Mendick in second, probably neither one at this point, especially for a team that considers itself a bona fide championship threat, is a guy you're going to carry as a starting second baseman. Both could, you know, if Leary Garcia is gone from the organization as a free agent, they don't bring him back. Both could serve that role in the utility role. And you also have Gavin Sheets, who albeit is just learning the spot, and Andrew Vaughn, who played much more left than right, who could fill the right field spot and also work in a DH. But I think you need to add veterans at both spots, whether it's big names or guys. And, you know, I think everyone is so focused on that. You know, Michael Conforto is now the big buzzword, the big buzz name, and very good player, very good defensive player, too. And they need to improve defensively. Obviously, we saw that last year. I don't think it's a disappointment if you don't sign the biggest name per consideration at every spot. Look what the Atlanta Braves did. Now, granted, things worked out perfectly, but I mean, was Eddie Rosario the biggest ticket at the trade deadline? Was Jorge Soler the biggest ticket at the trade deadline? And it worked out perfectly. You know, I mean, Soler was the MVP of the World Series, and Rosario was the MVP of the playoffs probably overall, right? So, I mean, I, I think you're looking for the right fit. And remember, this is a really good baseball team that I think guys probably didn't hit their full stride because there were so many injuries. You know, how about a full year of a healthy Aloy Jimenez or a full year of a healthy Luis Robert who looked – MVP caliber when he was healthy, a full year of Yasmani Grandal be able to catch with two legs behind the plate and not worried about, you know, the, the knee injuries that he dealt with throughout the season. So, I mean, just in that, and just another year of experience for all these guys too, you know, you, you Tim Anderson, you on Moncada, you know, Jose is back again, you know, and, and Jose, I mean, Jose, I don't think did any time, right. No, he didn't do any time in the DL, but, or IL, excuse me, but he certainly got beat up as much as anyone. So I would think, you know, I, I, maybe I'm a little biased because I know Marcus. I covered Marcus when he first came up. He was Sox draft pick. Yeah, I think some people are worried about that maybe last year was more of an outlier. But, geez, I mean, you know, he had a great year with Oakland a few years ago where I think he was a Final 3 MVP then, too. And let's say he hits, you know, 25 home runs and plays great defense in second and, you know, can help you, help improve your offense. That's a pretty good addition. Now, again... I think it depends on what these guys are asking for per year. Eduardo Escobar would be a nice fit there too, seemingly for probably a little less than what Marcus Semyon is commanding right now. These are all just guesses on my part. But yeah, I think, you know, Conforto would fit great and right. And then if you decide to keep both Sheets and Vaughn, you can work them in a DH and work them in the outfield as well. But you also have to look and see if you're going to do something via trade. You know, it's, it's a very complicated thing because I don't know what the Sox have of huge trade value right now. If you're not going to move Garrett Crochet, if you're not going to move Dylan Cease, if you're not going to move Andrew Vaughn, if you're not going to move Aloy Jimenez, and to doubt you're going to move Aloy Jimenez, you know, any of those guys. I mean, hey, Zach Collins has the makings of, of a, decent, a decent catcher in the future, but he's still just kind of developing now, you know? I mean, Gavin Sheets had a breakout year last year, and, you know, I've written about this probably six or seven times about how he was left off the alternate training site roster last year and was very upset by that and worked hard to improve instead of getting really angry and look what he did. You know, he was great. But again, where is his value now? Can you project him out after the one season where he looked like a true left-handed power bat to being, you know, a, a guy you trade for? And the same with Jake Berger. I mean, what a great story Jake Berger. I think we've talked about him on your podcast before. 
but is he tradable? You know, is he, is he a guy that's going to get you what you want? And then if you do trade Craig Kimbrell, which is something that Rick kind of without entertaining it, entertained it, how much do you pick up of that 16 million that he's owned? So again, I've gone kind of long on some of these answers, but it's like a big puzzle. And I think Rick's, you know, I, I know they've identified who they want. And I think it may come down to where you maybe if you sign, let's say hypothetically, they really get the right hit and they sign Simeon to play second, then you probably either go from within for right field or go through a trade for right field. Or you maybe go to another tier, you know, money-wise, who may be just as valuable a free agent. So, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can say, I mean, I think Simeon's a great player. I think Simeon is a, is a very solid defensive player. You know, he talked about the help Ron Washington gave him in Oakland. He's an offensive force. He's a great guy to have on that team, a great guy to have in the clubhouse. So I guess if I had to pick one, I'd say, I'd say Simeon, but I'm, you know, just not sure what's going to happen ultimately one way or the other. All right. Well, I'm going to ask you one more here and I'm going to let you go on uh, and get a well-deserved vacation because I know you're ready for it. You're, you're covering this thing for MLB.com. And remember folks, you can follow Scott Merkin on Twitter at Scott Merkin. You can, you can get all of his articles right there on whitesocks.com. You're following this and you've got the CBA looming. You've got this possible lockout coming on the, on the first. I don't think it's going to last very long. As somebody that negotiated contracts as a, as a head of a union at one point in my life, I just don't see this going too long, especially coming out of the pandemic the year before. Everybody lost money doing that. But are the White Sox, it seems like some teams are, but are the White Sox operating basically like, we don't care, we're going to operate just like normal, or are they holding some cards back and waiting to see what happens December 1st or whenever they actually sign the next CBA? Is it full steam ahead really? Or is that just a line until they really know what's going on? I think it'd be both, right? I, you know, I, I wasn't at the GM meetings, but from the comments I heard from Rick, it sounds like, and I've heard other GMs talk the same way. I've heard Jed Hoyer talk the same way and others not in Chicago that they have to operate as if baseball has continued to go on until it's not going on, you know, until there's a reason not to. So, but I think in the back of their mind, they have to kind of figure out like what could change and, and keep that in mind as well. You know, I think people are like interested to see what's, if anyone's going to rush to, you know, I mean, Verlander sounded like he wanted to make a deal quick. Uh, same with Amy who signed with the Dodgers and I'm missing one other guy who signed early already. And I can't even think of that. Eduardo right now, Rodriguez. There you go. Eduardo Rodriguez. Yeah. So, you know, I, I think he had an idea too. So I think players just like any of them, I mean, Yasmani Grandal signed in November, right? I mean, then other guys, it took till January or February. So I think it's, it's all what the player wants to get done right now. So, you know, does that mean like none of Scott Boris's guys will sign before the new CBA, CBA is in effect? Probably not because there may be someone who says, you know, I really want to go to one of these two teams, get this done type of thing. So, yeah, I, I think it, it kind of works on both, but I, I think your perspective is interesting from a, interesting from a labor negotiator. Cause I agree with you. I think it can't go long. And again, I just think there's too much to lose by will it happen? I mean, who knows, but I, I don't think it can go along to where it impedes the season. Cause there's just, as I started to say, there's too much to lose if that happens with baseball's popularity and just the perception among fans coming up on 20 years as the beat writer for the white Sox for MLB.com. It probably went by in a flash, Scott. Yeah. I always go by man. I always go by manager, eight Ozzy, <laughs> five Robin, four Ricky, <laughs> Now I'll be starting two with Tony and one Jerry Manuel. That's so there insane. you go. There's the 20. I think I theoretically started March of 2003. So it'll just be 19 years service time wise when I get to spring training this year, but it'll be 20th season. 
So there you go. I, I should commemorate it somehow, maybe a coin or something like that. I love the fact that you had the one year of Jerry Manuel, because that means you had the year of Jerry Manuel where people thought he fell asleep in the dugout. And he probably did. Let's be honest. The biggest thing I remember at the end of Jerry Manuel, he was a very nice guy. You know, I didn't know him as much as the other beat writers did because I really just covered him part of 2000 when I was at the other company and then 2003 as the MLB.com beat writer. But, you know, the infamous game against the Twins where I, you don't want to pile on again. I wouldn't even say the guy's name, but it was a reliever who no longer is in baseball and was with no longer with the Sox after this game. I believe he was pulled out after it was like an 8-2 Sox lead. And the Sox were in first place at this point. It was September. And the, this reliever gave up four runs in the ninth, and they pulled him in the crowd boot. And I believe he made a, a gesture that did not sit well with the owner of the team, who was a very classy <laughs> individual, a very charitable man, a great guy. And I believe he was done as of that day. And I get it. You know, some people just, you know, it's frustrating. But I remember that. But I remember that that team was another one. There's a lot of teams in, the, in, you know, Kenny Williams' tenure. He's talked about this, that were really good and just kept a little bit sure. I remember the 2012 team. You know, they led until midway through September, I think, right? I believe Detroit caught them, right, in 2012. So, you know, the Sox are trying to, you know, this is, some, stunningly enough, this is the, which is really hard to believe, this is the first time in franchise history that they went to back-to-back playoffs in, you know, 20 and 21. I think they'd really like to, you know, erase that asterisk and go this year in two full seasons back-to-back since it was only a 60-game season in 20. But the fact that it took this long and that franchise is a proud, historic franchise to go back to back is kind of insane, isn't it? It's a little, it's definitely different. His name is Scott Merkin. You can follow him at Scott Merkin, uh, nearly 20 years at MLB.com covering the White Sox. But I swear if they called him from Ann Arbor tomorrow and said, come here and cover uh, Michigan Wolverine sports, you would never hear from Scott Merkin again. He would run right off immediately. That would be tough. Like I, I think about some of the moments I've lost, like the Cordell Stewart 72 yard tip touchdown pass or that godforsaken uh, uh, Michigan State drop punt that went for it. I'm not sure how I would have written after those games. <laughs> that would have been a, those would have been tough ones. <laughs> Enjoy the vacation, my friend. Can't wait to talk to you again. Okay, sounds good. Thanks, Chris. Take care. So Merck is, uh, I guess, a guy who covers the White Sox and then just loves Michigan. Like, just just loves him. I mean, I, I get a kick out of every time I try to talk to him. All he wants to do is just mention Michigan. But he did have an awful lot of good stuff in there. And I want to go back to the point about Justin Verlander and get your thoughts. I felt like, this is my personal feeling, I feel like the White Sox knew they weren't getting Verlander. But they wanted everybody to know that they tried. And trying could be that they gave, made a phone call. And they're like, hey, what's Verlander up to? And his agent's like, hey. He's going to get two years of $25 million guaranteed. Oh yeah. I mean, the second year is a player option, but that's really a guarantee. So he's two years at $50 million. Yeah. We're, we're not, we're not going to do that, but we're not doing, we that. just wanted to make sure that we tried. And then the phone was hung up yep. and then somebody called Bob Nightingale and said, make sure the fans know that we tried before he signs in a couple of hours. That's how I kind of felt that went. Now, on the other hand though, I think they'd have to be stupid to think they were going to get him cheap. So it indicates to me that not only are the White Sox looking for starting pitching, but that they intend to spend money in the offseason. And the theory that some people have that they're not going to do anything, I think, is false. And I also think they're going to get something done. I still believe that if they can, if the right deal is there, there's going to be a move before December 1st. In fact, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think waiting, going through a short lockout, which I believe will be short, but who knows if it's long, going through that and then having to come out 
and have to rush and scramble before spring training, if you haven't done anything before December 1st, you're putting yourself at a disadvantage. So I, I still think something's going to happen. And I think that that rumor at least indicates to me, one, they want pitching, two, they have money and they're going to spend. Well, I think they want pitching because I, I think they're they're looking at what they have here and they may have concerns about Dallas Keuchel and they also might still just be looking at and going, hey, look, you know, there's a lot of value to keeping Michael Kopech in the role that he was in last year and giving him spot starts throughout the year and having him be the Swiss Army knife and security blanket for Tony La Russa. But I, I do think that they kicked the tires on Justin Verlander to see if he was going to come cheap because he's old and coming off of injury. I mean, he's, you know, he's up there in age. He's, it's not like this is even Syndergaard who got the $21 million That's from the stupid. Angels. One year, $21 million for Noah Syndergaard. That was stupid. That was pointless for the Angels to do that because he's not going to pitch well this the year. The Angels so. are a dumb organization. I'm sorry. That's just dumb. They, they like, really are. You, you really give are one dumb. year $21 million to Noah Syndergaard, and if you're doing something like that, you better go out and sign five, six more guys because that team is not winning the World Series. So what are you giving $21 million to a guy for if, he, if he's good and you get what you expect out of him? He's gone the next year for much more. So, I mean, like, they, like that was just a dumb contract. They're trying to finish in second. Um, if I'm Rick Hahn right now, I am just on the phone, in the DMs, on LinkedIn, sending smoke signals, <laughs> sending stripper grams and candy grams to Marcus <laughs> Simeon's agent because he is the best second base option that they have either in free agency or on the trade market, and they need to bring him back here. They need to they they need to invest their money there. Where else are you going to find that kind of pop at second base? Where I think you can you here's the thing, and this goes to the second base right field argument. We've had a lot of this talk on this show, and uh, Jordan Lazowski over at Sox on Thirty Fifth and I have exchanged some tweets where he's like, I can't understand why anybody would be against Michael Conforto, and I kind of gave some reasons, and then he got all you know statty on me because he's he's very analytical and I was like I'm gonna get into a Twitter argument with somebody I like so I just kind of like took a step back I was like ah whatever he has his opinions I have mine all right and I respect his opinions that's why he comes on this show all the time but I look at right field and I say look worst case scenario Gavin Sheets out in right field Adam Engel out in right field Andrew Vaughn out in right field this combination platoon you could put out in right field that's at least something you could actually build a player in right field. You can't do that at second base. You see, you have no other option than a massive trade for a high-level talent at second base or going out and signing a guy like Simeon, who I'm reading reports is probably going to fall in the $22, $23 million a year range. And rightfully so. And you know what? You have it. You have that money. You can do that, especially if you're able to unload Kimbrell's contract, especially if you're able to move on from Dallas Keuchel, and especially if you're already in the hunt for starting pitching and you're you're looking at spending money. I think the White Sox can swing that contract, and you have to find an answer at second base. Otherwise, the Nick Madrigal for Craig Kimbrell trade is the greatest disaster. I'm going to say it right now. The greatest disaster of the Rick Hahn era, because with Tatis, you had no idea what you had when you made that trade. But you knew that you had a starting second baseman that could play for you for the next 10 years. And yeah, he wasn't flashy. And yeah, he wasn't going to get a lot of home runs. And yeah, he had a few little defensive hiccups. But he was a talent. And you don't have that level of talent available to you at a good price right now anywhere. And I don't know what the trade market is right now for a second baseman. But until they fix that hole, it looks like an absolute disaster. And that's why I would still lean towards second. I think that's why you're the same way. I think that's why Merck said it in his interview. 
Oh, yeah. Well, it, and, and again, going back to, to the mismatched Sox blog that's out now, I looked at what happens if the White Sox stand pat, and in right field, you have Gavin Sheets, who desperately wants to own that What's position. It bad? And he, he's a guy... He, he, I mean, it, it, there's a report out, you know, he's saying he's going to take extra reps. He wants to build himself into a good right fielder. And I think he could be better the, against lefties than he showed. He was, he was better in the minors against lefties and the opportunities than what he got last year in 18 at-bats. But you also have Andrew Vaughn, who's got to find somewhere to play. He's got to, you know, it, you're not getting him off the team after spending all of last year letting him develop. You also still have Adolfo sitting in the minors, who is one of your highly touted prospects, who's out of options. Jake Berger has to play somewhere if he's ever going to be on this team, and he's probably not mobile enough at this point to be a second baseman, but you know, he might be able to run around in the outfield on on you know the the leg injuries that he's had. And you've got Adam Engel. You've got options sitting in right field. What you have at second base? Nothing. You have Danny Mendick, Ugh. Romy Gonzalez, Gross. and Yolbert Sanchez, Ugh. who's in, who's tearing it up in the Arizona Fall League. None of that is good enough for me. And and, and here's the thing. No. I want, I want to make this very clear. I want the White Sox to go get Marcus Simeon and then go find a right fielder. Go get Conforto. Go get uh, Avi Garcia. I, in fact, I'm not against Michael Conforto coming on this team. I'm just surprised by the fact that he's becoming the messiah and he's attached to Scott Boros, and I think White Sox fans are setting themselves up for disappointment right there, okay? And and then again, Marcus Simeon, also a Boros client, but I, I'm getting an idea of what his market is, and I'm like, if I have to deal with Boros, I'm, I want that second baseman. Now, who knows? The White Sox might go out and sign Chris Taylor in the next couple of days and then turn their attention to the right field, and I don't care. And you're going to give up a draft pick for Chris Taylor, which is, you know, that, that I think is going to weigh into that decision. When he was offered the qualifying offer by the Dodgers, I think that changed the equation for how Taylor is viewed on the marketplace. Well, here's the thing. In the end, we could sit around and we could talk about it till our faces turn blue, like what they should do. But the only thing that matters to me is that they do something. And as long as they right. do something, as long as there is some sort of a plan, if they go back and do what David Sampson was talking about, go, go middle, middle market guys who are very versatile outfielders that can play multiple positions, you know, find, find your solution at, at second base, add two pitchers at a reasonable price instead of one big name pitcher, because you want more depth because pitching you need five, six, seven, t- you know, you need like seven starters really now in major league baseball. I mean, like that's, that's what yeah. you need. So if they go that route, I'm fine with that. I'm totally okay with it. I'm good if Michael Conforto comes. If he doesn't come, I'm just saying I'm not going to be jumping off a building saying, well, you know, that was that was our only hope, Sox fans. You know, and 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 I thought that that was another great reason that we we had that interview with uh, David, uh, the former VP and uh, president in the Expos and the Marlins organization. That show is on demand and on SoxInTheBasement.com or anywhere podcasts can be found. He was at entry in our thousand dollar guest bounty that is going on all off season. The listener that submitted him and was able to help us set up that interview is now entered for a grand being given away by Elite Benefits of America. Butch Zemar wants to help your smaller mid sized company. Get better insurance. If you're an HR person, the boss and the employees you work with are going to love you. If you're the boss, everybody who works for you is going to stay with you forever. They're just going to love the fact they're spending less on health insurance. They're getting more coverage and uh, you're spending less yourself. So your business is doing better. There are so many solutions out there. People just assume to just go with this one thing they've always gone with. Talk to Butch. It costs you nothing. Check out his website, EliteBenefits.net, or give him a call anytime you want to. Wake him up in the middle of the night. He'll pick up the phone. 
3,000. He's going to love you six. for that. Right, exactly. And remember, you can get those suggestions in for the $1,000 guest bounty at SocksInTheBasement.com. You can leave voice messages there. You can send us messages where you just type them in and we get everything. You know, send us an email. There's all kinds of ways to contact us at SocksInTheBasement.com. However you can get us, however you can get the information to us, get it to us, man. We'll we'll, right. we'll take all comers under consideration here. And if we can actually set them up and get them on. You're entered in. Yeah, I think we're going to be rolling with some other uh, big names coming up here very soon. It, it takes a it takes a minute, you know, really to kind of set these up. Remember to check out all of our past episodes at SaxonBasement.com or on any podcast player. I guess Facebook has started podcasting now, so we've been submitted into the Facebook podcast marketplace. Oh, very I, meta. Yeah, and we're we're meta, whatever. I mean, I'm sure when I clicked on it and submitted the feed, Mark Zuckerberg took ownership of Sax in the Basement. And I don't even know it yet. All right, so I mean, uh, who knows? Pretty soon we'll have to have the you know the meta symbol in the in the corner of uh, of Sax in the Basement. I, I probably signed our life away just by clicking the submit the podcast button, but it's there for you now because we want you to go and find us anywhere podcasts can be found and always at Sax in the Basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always on socksinthebasement.com.